What's good, everybody? I'm a trainer called Tony from the world-famous Off The Strength Podcast, and I'm happy to be here partnering with Lululemon to help them kick off their virtual seaweeds this year. In honor of the event, we're launching a special five-part series entitled Running Outside the Lines. We're looking to highlight the lives of runners and wellness professionals looking to find out what happens when fitness stops and life begins. Through stories of inspiration, perseverance, and triumph, We unpack the role this historic year has played in the lives of movement artists, discussing how their training helped keep them motivated when life became uncertain on the backdrop of a pandemic and civil unrest brought on by a mass awakening to systemic injustice. Though the stories and perspectives may differ, the sentiment to keep running towards a solution remains the same. No matter how high the hurdle or steep the climb, listen in to hear how when the course changed, these athletes weren't afraid to run outside the lines. What's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back to yet another episode of Off the Strength, where we're giving you the inside look into all things wellness culture. I'm a trainer called Tony, and of course, with me, I got some gentlemen of extraordinary league guys. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, please. Your trainer, Corey, a.k.a. your favorite trainer's favorite trainer. K.R. Jones is in the building. That's right, folks. And, oh, man. Okay. This, this is the first time since we came back. We got some special guests inside here. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of all types from near and far, you are now in store for a treat. Today with us, we have Stacy Young. Fellas, let's make a round of applause for Stacy one time. What's going on, hello, Stacy? How hello, you feeling? Hello. What's up? All right, we can't go hold that Harlem stuff against you, Stacy. You know, I'm a Brooklyn boy, so. I'm <laughs> always trying it. to start beef. You always trying to start beef. That's because we have love for Uptown, and we got to make Hostility. sure. Hostility. Show what love to. Show what love to. All of it. All of it. Exactly. Exactly. Because we are all coming together in a special time, and we need unity, not division, fellas. Right. Unity to bring everybody together inside here, and that's why I'm really happy and excited to talk to Stacy now. Stacy, I want to set the course for our conversation as we come inside here, but before we jump in and let everybody know the richness of our conversation that we're going to have. Would you do me a favor and can you introduce yourself and let our listeners know who you are and what it is that you've been up to? So my name is Stacy Young. I am a licensed clinical social worker and I am a therapist serving New York State. I am also a marathoner, so runner, and I love black people. There we go. <laughs> I mean, you know what? We got can we get the scoreboard on that? I think she hit the uh, triple word score on uh, the, the audio daily double right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> daily double on that side, you know. So shout out to the marathon runner. Shout out to the loving black people and the course of our conversation today is coming around on that run and this is our first installment in that running outside the line series we're going to be looking at what it means to be in that young gifted and black idiom as it pertains to our wellness and stacy we here at off the strength like to celebrate people not just for what it is they do but why it is they do it and i want to make sure that we get to tell that story and guys we got a special way that we like to kick that story off a little bit stacy i don't know if you've heard the coalition of the willing most infamous fitness podcast out there i don't know if you got a chance to listen to this but What's coming down the line, Stacey, is that our listeners out there, shout out to Sri Lanka, the people are still out here, they're still tuning in. They need to know, Stacey, where were you when you first fell in love with this thing that we call wellness? It had to be somewhere in probably around 2000, 
it's probably still in 2011. I had just signed up for my first half marathon. So I'd actually just completed it, kind of signed up for it. Didn't necessarily think that it was something I could do when I first started it, but a coworker had convinced me that this sounded like a good idea um, and had not probably run more than a mile at all before signing up for it at all. And then I finished it and I was really proud of myself. And I was like, that was really cool. And so really started looking a lot more into running. And then I found a running group called Black Girls Run. And I was like, oh, this is like a thing. Who knew? And so they were, you know, they were just getting started and they were meeting up in Central Park. So I said, okay, well, you know, I know I can at least run a little bit, so I won't totally embarrass myself. So I went to go meet up with them and we ran a loop of Central Park. And afterwards we just spent time talking and chatting. And I thought, this is amazing. And I just got to speak with other women about fitness, about their running journey, about, you know, all of it. And I was like, this feels really good. Just kept doing it and kept telling each other about other events. We made it into trips. But it kind of started this whole thing that I've been doing since then. I love that. So you had a birth of a tribe, a community that was mm-hmm. bound by that activity. I like the way that sounds and I like the way that goes because that is exactly what is needed now as we kind of come about in this time frame where we're a little disembodied from that community aspect or we can be with the potential of being inside the city. Right, fellas? I, I feel like we stacked upon each other so much, Stacy, that we don't even get to understand the commonalities that exist between myself and the person that I see across unless I see you doing something similar. So there's aspiration that's built inside there, there's inspiration, and then, you know, there's that story of, again, that collective belonging that keeps coming back and around. And I think that that's a perfect kind of course to set when we're talking about the bigger societal context that come along in this conversation. But we're going to get deeper into that as well. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about where the appraisal for mental health came into your life and how did that become something that you wanted to work towards? So I decided to go, so I have my degree in social work and I actually, I'm originally from California and that's what I moved out here to New York for. So, you know, I knew pretty early on that that's what I wanted to do. My mother's a social worker, my aunt was a social worker. And so I know it was the general direction I was going in and I did some internships at a high school and, you know, really fell in love with working with adolescents and eventually went to go on to work with adolescents um, who are returning home or were somehow involved in the court system, you know, coming home from the juvenile facilities upstate. And so I did family therapy with them and individual therapy with them and just really saw the impact that it had on their lives. All the things that they had experienced, all the things that they were coming from, and some of the trauma and experiences they had had in, you know, just while they were upstate um, and also what their families were going through. So to really be able to sit there in someone's, you know, it was, it was home-based therapy work that I did. So to be able to sit in someone's home and do family therapy with them week after week during this point in their life was a really special thing to do. Yeah, and just saw the impact that it had on the direction they saw their life going and the decisions they made, how their parents reacted to them, you know, where they found space in their life. So I just came something that I really stuck with. I still work with a just-involved population. I eventually went to go open my own private practice so that I could serve even more of New Yorkers. And I just really get the gift of seeing people really acknowledge, like, things are really tough and things can be really hard or even just acknowledging that change can be just different. And so just looking for support as they go through that really drew me to this process and just have really come to acknowledge and believe that mental health and dealing with your mental health is a way to, you know, reach your goals and those things that, you know, that best life that you're striving for. I celebrate the time that we're in now because of the renaissance around mental health that we Mm -hmm. seem to be undergoing, in particular in our community. Fellas, how are you feeling on that side about the awakening to mental health in this 2020 COVID and BLM movement kind of coming about? 
I think it's always good when we're more and more aware of everything that's going on with our community and everything that our community needs. We've spent so much time trying to disregard things or avoiding issues that we have and problems that we have instead of actually diving into them and trying to correct them. So it's a blessing that we're paying attention and that we're seeking professionals and that people are actually having conversations. And even the conversations that don't necessarily go exactly the way they should, at least they're being had. That's still a better step than not speaking at all. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Stacey, you mentioned you got into your career from your your mother and your aunt. Mm-hmm. Was your aunt the one that passed that you named your company afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What role did they play in, you know, you understanding that you wanted to be a therapist growing up? I don't see that as like something a lot of kids aspire to at a young age. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> how did how did that lay down a foundation for you to step into these footsteps that you're in today? So, well, my original plan was really wanted to work with foster youth, you know, and help send them to college. Um, in college, that's what I was really looking forward to. And it had been really been inspired that my aunt, she had a private practice and she had worked a lot with adolescents and with youth. And so she would talk to us a lot about it. That's what a lot of our conversations would be about when she would tell us about her day. She took us to our office a few times. So her office was on 6th Street in Berkeley, which is how I got the name 6th Street Wellness for my practice. And so, you know, at 18, when you have to like check the box, like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> <laughs> they kind of seemed like yeah. it was like okay well you know this is this is what we'll do and it's just something that really stuck with me. And, you know, I think even before that, even I found a, an old live journal account, which I had actually forgot existed. And in it, I had written an entry when I was 16, like, and it said something like, I think I should be a therapist. <laughs> so I think somewhere in there, you know, I've always been a part of it. So really having those ideas formulated by my aunt and by my mother and just like, oh, this is this is what this is what it's called. This is what it is. And then you just kind of take the journey, fell in love with the adolescent population and just the young people. And so I had found jobs that would direct me there. So that's how I ended up working um, at my first job where, you know, I just kind of stuck with it for the last 12 years. <laughs> right on. Question for you, Stacey. Mm-hmm. When you got to the point where you kind of knew like what you were doing and what you're going to be, mm-hmm. you knew everybody was in mental health. You know, you wanted to be that. You saw that from your family. But how did you know like what route to go? Why New York? Why did you take the path that you took? It's it's interesting because it's kind of a series of things that happened. Like, I'm pretty sure there was a much larger plan in my head. Um, but, you know, it was a series of steps and you just kind of jump to the next rock hoping that worked. Um, and then when you get to the next rock, you jump to the next. And so they were actually at my school, they were going to cut the program. So I went to San Francisco State. It was a state school, always under budget cuts. So they were going to cut the program. And so I had gotten worried. So I changed my major, actually, to sociology. And so I was kind of thinking what I would do with that. And then a friend told me that you should go to this grad school fair um, that was happening on our campus and I went and this wonderful woman was at the grad school fair and just really talked to me from Columbia and said like you should apply and I said no way and she was like no no no, apply apply and so I did my sister my older sister lived in New York and so when I went to visit her I um, made an appointment I said you know hey I'm in New York I'd love to come talk to you and she you know said sure great I went to go speak with her and she talked to some students who were there and they said to apply so I applied and so it was just kind of one of those things and they were like yeah you should come so I was like okay <laughs> so New York became my first choice my sister was here so I had some friends who were moving here so I said okay let's let's do it and then as far as while I was in school like I said it was just some internships and things that I had gotten and kind of narrowed down population from there and then just sent out job applications and hope something hit and 
fortunately, my first job, I was there for six years, and it turned out to be a really amazing match that the supervisor I had there, the team there I had there really helped nourish and nurture my skills, which I feel very fortunate for because that doesn't always happen. And, you know, I, I don't know that I would still be doing this if it hadn't been for them, you know, but they really helped me discover that I was really good at this and that this is what, you know, path I was supposed to be on. When you run into the adversity and the, also the, the weight of being a therapist and carrying all that for other people, where do you go? Where's your outlet? Where's your source? What do you do when you need to decompress, so to speak? So that was one of the things that really kept me with the running community. Moving my body was one of the things that just felt really good. You know, so whether it was before work or after work, because, um, you know, it's like I would go and have these sessions and you just have this energy. Like sometimes after a really heavy session, like you, you feels like you just went for a run mm. but you so you still kind of have all this pent-up energy so I'd come after work and almost every night like I'd go to the gym do the elliptical something and I would just spend a few hours there you know after work and then just after that it just felt like whoo um so it really really became my go-to and then you know so when I started getting into running and doing races it was like a great something else to focus on and a great something else to just really keep my mind um you know, when I needed to refocus it or needed to move it away from work, something that I really enjoy focusing on. Stacy, I'm loving this conversation that you're sharing so far. By the way, I just had to go back and shout out to Live Journal because that was a moment in time that we have to reflect <laughs> and uh, appreciate As that. I that myself. <laughs> nah, but we got we got to give them the notes. I was like, okay, Stacy, I see where you was at. You was on the Live Journal Internet version two nah, out there. I was there. on was uh, Black Planet. Black Planet all day. Yeah. Shout out to that. You know, we celebrate excellence all the time. The Black Planet days. Well, I, 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 you know, in the last like couple years, I just found all those accounts and like because I, I forgot that they were just there. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, I didn't know these things still existed, but there they were. And information and thoughts that live on there still living forever in perpetuity. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It'll give you a nice little snapshot of the insight. You speak a lot about the outlets that you've had along the way. And I, I would also say inside there at 17, 16, I wish I had the foresight to know exactly what I was going to be doing for the rest of life because that's just not how my story played out. <laughs> there was a lot of plot twists inside there. So the fact that you had stewardship and leadership and it sounds like uh, an abundance of different people that you could look to, to to aspire to be like in that example is a very fortunate position to be in. And, and I, I, I recognize that and I, I review that. And, you know, I would imagine that some of that has to carry over to your work when you're doing the work with the adolescents. And when you speak of the importance of that work and how it can change the recidivism rate that I heard inside there and, and, and changing the outcomes of where you're going. Stacey, I want to know... What's something that you learn from working with the youth about yourself? So, I mean, they teach you all kinds of things. I also, I work with adults now, but they, they have just such resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too, they, you know, it, they're still at that stage, like, you know, where they think they know everything. But, <laughs> you know, but the way that they can really advocate for themselves and really stand up for themselves, like, when they're really feeling something is something I always admire. Like, I will always be thankful that I was trained by, you know, 17-year-olds um, who were in the position they were in because I feel like I can handle, like, what you got. Like, that you cannot hurt my feelings. You cannot say, you cannot be more direct with me than a 17-year-old. Uh-huh. And so, you know, and as we become adults, we learn to kind of, you know, shut up or, you know, we kind of are push to put those things aside and that that's wrong. So which I think is why a lot of us, you know, tend to lose our voice. Mm. And so or think that we have to, you know, change ourselves to fit into a certain space. So it's definitely a change. I think they just remind me like, all right, like you just say things sometimes. (laughs) And like, you know, being really direct and just, you know, you know, advocating for yourself really and like really finding your voice. 
and there's an importance to that voice, particularly when you're in a time of adversity. That mm-hmm. those are the people that you see on the front lines. You know, it's usually the youth that you know. If we go back to the historic days of SNCC and things of that nature, the youth have always been the ones with the fire in the stomach to jump up and say, "Hey, this ain't right," and I'm I'm going to be the one that changes it right now. Mm-hmm. What What were some of your emotions when you first started to see this new wave of of the Black Lives Matter movement and the consciousness that's coming along with it and this something that i'm trying to toy around with calling this great awakening that we're in right now what's your emotion about the youth response uh and how do you feel they have risen to the cause yes varying different emotions i mean first as it came up you know it was like okay you know it was very painful because it was like okay we're doing this you know uh you know this is happening again right like i i know that i had you know, had a lot of thoughts when this happened before. I was like, oh, this is it, this is it, this is it. And then it wasn't like when Ferguson was happening. I was like, this is it, right? <laughs> like I went, I went back to an old status that was just like, all right, this is the revolution. And, you know, and it, you know, it started off a larger conversation. It really was sort of the, you know, the match that led this, let, you know, led this movement. And then when it came up again, you know, it was just like, okay, okay, we're back here. But, you know, just to see the consistency, see the fight, see the passion, you know, and, and really the advocacy uh, day after day, night after night, and the risk that people were putting themselves at, um, you know, especially considering all this is going on in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Pandemic, you know, it was just really, it became really inspiring and hopeful. Um, and so, you know, eventually led to a place, and I just remember waking up one Monday, one Monday saying like, Okay, like the, we may act, this may actually work this time. We may actually really, really have something here because the conversation felt different. We were getting white people in on the conversation, and you know, putting asking them to or telling them really not asking, telling them like you need to take some responsibility of this. Like it cannot be just black people, you know, people of color marching in the streets. Like you need to do this as well. And so it was great to see, you know, more of them out in the streets fighting along this with us because them teaching each other is going to be the way that this is also going to change, right? We can't sit there and do this in silos by ourselves. It's something that, again, is is true of all times. If we think that we had to do everything 100% by ourselves, and even when passing legislation and all the rest of that stuff, you do need allies to have a role. And I want to come to allies in a little bit. I want to go back and uh, backtrack a little bit more just to go inside that that conversation that we were having around, you know, the emotion that came about and and the uniqueness Mm -hmm. of this time. Why do you think this time in particular for all the incendiary incidents that had happened before and and everything that seemed like it was the straw that would break the camel's back? Why was 2020 the moment, in your opinion, that really started to make the table flip a little bit more? I mean, if I had to guess, I mean, you know, one we had to pay attention. You couldn't run away from it. There's nowhere to go. So, you know, you couldn't just change your timelines to be your vacation photos or this or that, right? Like you weren't going anywhere. You weren't, you weren't supposed to be doing anything. So, you know, you could really, you kind of, you had to sit in it and you really had to sit in it. And it really forced people to sit in it. They couldn't run, they couldn't hide. It was obvious, you know, and I think we were being more direct, right? And so, um, you know, asking for receipts, right? Like not just posting a black square, like, let me see your board. Let me see where your money's going. Let me see, you know, let's really see what this looks like, you know, beyond the performative nature of it. Like, where's the work continuing? 
we do a follow-up in six months and see, you know, did you make those donations? Did you keep those pledges? You know, let's see what your board looks like. You just had elections. Let's see who's there. And I think that that's, that those types of conversation and those types of calls are the things that say, okay, this feels like something we can measure, something we can see, not accepting promises and we wills and we'll get to it. And, you know, the challenge that just diversity is not the answer, that it's not, you know, or trainings rather, just not the answer, um, that there's real anti-racist work that needs to happen, um, you know, and the pressure to do so. You got to stay vigilant on the watching to make sure that we get these promises delivered upon. Fellas, how you feeling about that? The biggest difference in this side of the movement and this part of it versus what was happening before is the idea and the concept and the understanding that we can't allow you to just placate. You can't just say things. We have to actually see that checks and balances. We have to see what you're doing. And we planned on following up. It was really refreshing to see people continuously telling everyone else to not just post, to do more. It was useful because it kept us in line. And I think the idea that we have to keep this movement moving forward, but moving forward properly and in the right direction, and that there needs to be some leadership involved and needs to be strategic. And it's not just emotion and energy, but it's emotion and energy with strategy behind it is a big difference. Stacy, just to reiterate, speaking of, you know, running outside of the lines, you made a, a major move from, from California to New York. So I bet that had to be like, a, it's Harlem at that, that had to be like a huge culture shock. And then to Go to a school like Columbia that is often looked at as something that's prestigious in its own right. Can you speak to what it was like being a black woman and being in a mental health counseling role for your collegiate career and what kind of trials and tribulations you had to overcome in that system? Yeah, absolutely. So the transition from California to New York, I mean, fortunately, I had my sister here. uh, So she was able to really help and support. And also, like my best friend from college had moved out here a week before I did. So I definitely had some major, major support blocks, you know, to help in that way. When I came to school, the, the two people that I had met with beforehand were two black students. And so like, you know, I had told them, hey, I'm coming. As soon as I landed, I let them know I'm here. And like, we immediately began hanging out and they, you know, they really embraced me, um, which was awesome. And so I, you know, immediately had some, and I mean, I immediately had a community, um, you know, people used to say hi to and talk to. Um, And, you know, the school did a really good job of, you know, getting all the first years together. And so was really able to connect with people. So again, that community portion was really, really, really important. They had the Black Caucus and so immediately became involved with the Black Caucus, um, served on the board of that my first year. So that was a really important part, you know, just to have activities outside of work, but also, you know, to have a community and community of Black people to be able to talk about the thing that we would encounter um, when we would start our work. And so, you know, really it was, it was finding, you know, who I was at the time. I was 21 um, when I first got here. And so it's uh, an interesting sort of personal space to be in in life where you're just really figuring out who you are as an adult and as a professional. And also going to these places where, you know, people are going to lead you. So my first year full placement, I was in a residence for homeless adults when I was their case manager. So, you know, just helping really support them with their day-to-day activities. And really, it was just such an eye-opener of the depths to just, you know, especially what people of color endure. You know, it you go into these homes and it's all black and brown people. And it's just like 
like how is this you know how is this it um and, you know we were located up in washington heights and so you know i know that is where you know a large spanish community lives but but even so it was even the other homes it was still such a largely you know people of color space that it just felt like these problems run so deep and also seeing what it would take to get them out of this position was i'm like this is beyond human strength um, in terms of dealing so in you know dealing with substance use issues dealing with housing issues having to find stable jobs getting enough income that could get you out of this position because often oftentimes it just felt like a hamster wheel right like you almost have just enough to stay where you are and you know college is expensive you know school is expensive it takes a lot of you know it was definitely built and geared towards a person who could do a certain type of activities that you know would be really challenging for people in this position and so when we talk about you know okay so how do they get out of this situation becomes the steepest of mountains you know yeah. to climb. we're often tricked by the fallacy that can be that meritocracy that people talk about in the american dream right and i think george carlin says it best you got to be asleep to actually achieve that sometimes. That's why they call it the dream, especially if you're coming from circumstances that you're describing inside there. There's something that also I hear inside there that I want to speak, and hopefully that brings about some of this, the collective consciousness into the conversation. You you mentioned a couple of different moments of transcendence in there where you said trying to figure out what to do at 21 in in that time was a complicated situation. Now, Stacey, if I were to project that onto a year like this year, you're coming into this adolescent space. There's civil unrest, there's uncertainty, there's a pandemic. There's all of these tropes that can be oppressing how you see the world, your relationship to your perspective, to all of these things that we would want you to use to maybe even try to climb that ladder that we're talking about, that theoretical ladder. Seems like it's moved even further out of the way and, it, and it's a lot of obstacles inside the way. How do you feel the collective consciousness has been impacted by everything that has taken place this year inside of even make that not just the youth let's make that into a a omnipresent conversation it's just black culture how has Mm -hmm. this pressure cooker of 2020 impacted that in your crossings yeah and i mean i think because it's just we uh, you know we're gonna live day to day like we're gonna have to have hope and so you know to my hope that we can figure out like okay like what to do next you know it's like john lewis left us marching orders Mm -hmm. so it's like we know what we have to do and so it's about really and figuring out what that means for you and taking your contribution to the world and figure out what that is and how contributes to you know fighting adversity fighting injustices you know in marching on whether that's in the streets in policies in you know whatever sort of space you are called to work in that that's what you're doing it is my hope that you know that that we as the adults in the world like get it together so that we can give our youth a fighting chance and really lay out the world so that they can you know share and explore their gifts and their contributions you know and doing what we can to really help them find that i'm really hoping especially with some of the things that we're really trying to do especially around like policing or you know with just like just general laws and policies that we do make this world a fair and more just place so that they can have a place to really uh, grow their gifts and really you know have their talents talents discovered and nurtured you know so they can so that we can see them and we can experience and benefit from them well that's what my cohorts and i are trying to institute that's the thing that in the areas where we do have some agency, and I think that everybody uh, in this coalition of the willing, the people who are wellness practitioners and professionals who have the alchemy needed to change somebody in the psychological sense, you know, to help them see an empowerment in themselves and to help them achieve a 
physical goal that they might not have seen before, harnessing those powers and unifying them around this goal to making everybody find those talents, as you said, and, and really dialing those up and saying, this is how we're going to use our talents to solve these problems, like coming into that unification aspect and coming into that celebration and, hey, I want to see everybody that's at this table build their own table and make their own table as sustainable so that this effort lives on long after I'm gone. I want this pathway to be easier for somebody else to cross. That's the goal that we're trying to set for ourselves as we take that forward. And in that mindset, Stacey, we've talked through, you, you mentioned policing, you mentioned uh, some of the socioeconomic structures. Stacey, if you can fix a piece of legislation or you can fix maybe even a, a place to invest in and it would cure at least like 80% of the problem that you, you see, what would that what would that look like? What would you snap your fingers and try to fix? Oh man, I'm like, <laughs> there's so many. Um, I mean, I guess just off of my head, somewhere between healthcare and education. Mm-hmm. Like if we can, if we can at the very root, you know, make those more fair and just systems, I think we could go a long way um, in terms of, giving people the opportunity and you know I don't necessarily mean just like better schools better this but I mean looking at different types of education like how do people learn how do different communities learn what resources you know so it's not you know so it's not necessarily like getting everybody into private school right it's looking at like what are other ways people other skills and traits that people have that we can nurture through education could really, really, I think, be helpful. You know, in healthcare, just healthcare across the spectrum in terms of just just children and just as adults. You know, it's like it the system is just it's really messed up <laughs> um, yeah. in terms of you know in terms of just to the point where it's just like sometimes you can look at someone and say like when was the last time you went to a doctor in terms of you know or just how they talk about it or you know one thing we ask at our clinic a lot is about when people last had their physicals and sometimes it would be five ten years and you're just like oh. so we just need to get people to a place where they have access to check in on their health and give them a fighting chance to take care of themselves or even to know that something is wrong to know that pain or that certain types of suffering aren't things that you just have to deal with, um, that there are different types of things that you can do with it. Even if it's more like more, more natural remedies, um, you know, having more access to those as well. Mm. So if the challenge is to go in, fellas, you understand this? We're not going to look for the outside to make this happen. We're going to bring it back inside here. See, my brother over here is hitting the finger snaps over on finger that snaps side. Finger, finger snaps. Finger snaps. Understand I left it. the incense at home. I forgot. We're going to light it up next time. Don't worry <laughs> next about time. it. Next time. Next time we get to it. And yeah, it's it's kind of a complicated question to answer, Stacey, because it is a systemic-based problem. So we need, <laughs> we need a systems-based solution, right? So there is no one answer. Even if we had that magic wand, that magic wand would have to build a whole system of infrastructure that comes around that. And... Part of that system of infrastructure on the at least the wellness front is what myself and my cohorts are looking to establish to try to make that continuity something that's a little easier. You know, if I can't, I'm not a doctor, but I can help you with all the things that happen in the preventative health sector as much as I can. And I know how to refer up that chain of command and start to move people through taking back knowledge of self, taking back ownership of what your inputs have on the outcomes that you are facing. It is not by circumstance that we were disproportionately impacted on the health front by this pandemic because a lot of the things that we are systemically susceptible to, diabetes, high blood pressure, all the rest of those things that come in a nice little package that also coincide with this poverty and this uh, oppression issue, sometimes what they tell us is innate in our DNA can be things that we can avoid if we take on a little bit more of the challenge to 
correct what's happening going forward. We can have cultural identity, but we can also be responsible for our atmosphere. And we can also be responsible for what's happening internally. And we can help enlighten the people that are in the generation before us and the generation that will precede us to the effects of what we do to our own body, have that agency. That's what my goal is to be on this side, fellas. Thank you, Snaps, on that. You preaching hey, today, brother. We Tom. came, we came here to pod, baby. To <laughs> you, was, you was holding that one in. Come on, man. It's, it's the real work, you know, and I really want to get to this work in, in the most pressing way possible because I really do want this year to be the last year that we have to have these conversations in this way a real change. And I know it's a complicated issue. I have complicated relationships with everybody along these issues. We're talking about policing. We're talking about socioeconomic issues. We're talking about healthcare. We're talking about all of these things just tied into one bow. And this amorphous nature, Stacey, makes it a little complicated as to see, well, when we do have to unify on an issue, who's saying what and how are we listening? Kind of like in the John Lewis examples that you gave. We used to have a platform of people that were like, okay, we know that they're going to say the thing that's going to make us move into this direction. But now, one of the gifts and the curse that come along with an organization moving a little less bound, so to speak, is the fact that when it, when it is time to come up with legislation, when it is time to have a voice, you know, we fight against the trope of us being a monolith all the time. But if we don't have an agenda, it can become a little hard to see what the outcomes can be. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is tough because it's like there are so many different voices, right? Do we defund the police? Do we abolish the police? Do we, right? Like what is, you know, understanding the difference between, you know, the difference and, you know, the thought uh, process behind both. You know, sometimes I wish we could just like have like a big conference or something and just hash this out. I like <laughs> and it. Come out and come out with our talking points. You mean that's not what Curlfest <laughs> is about? I was hoping for that. That's definitely yeah, not so. what Curlfest is about. I thought that's what we was going to get going. <laughs> I thought that's what we had. No. My bad, my bad. You know, I read that wrong. I was reading the room in a different way. My fault. <laughs> you know? You know, so, you know, in some ways that feels like the solution. Um, you know, in some ways I do appreciate all the different voices because I do think it gives people who might not always have access to the microphone a chance to, you know, have their voice, you know, or ideas that may not have made it to the front of the line get to the front of the line. So, you know, now instead of having two contenders, we've got like five. Um, so, which I agree makes it a bit more difficult so I think part of it too is like we just have to keep having the conversation and keep having the conversation one of the things is I really hope just to really bring to light or really inspire people you know who are doing data who are doing all you know research and policies and all of that to really help bring that to light to see if that can help guide you know figure out like okay to make us make decisions um and I think there's still a lot to learn mm-hmm. um, I think there's still a lot to learn and to understand you know I was introduced to new ideas throughout all of this that like, you know, I, I really, you know, really need to take the time and have the space to be able to really comb through so that when I become an advocate of it, I become a true representative of it, be a speaker for those things and, you know, educate people who need to know about it. Right on. I, I definitely want to be an advocate on my square, fellas. How y'all feeling on that? Advocating out here? Off the strength. That's Consistently. What <laughs> I'm really trying to get to this knowledge thing. And it requires us to have a little bit more reflexive understanding that kind of like you were saying it doesn't necessarily come from the same place all the time am i learning in the history this oral history that we've had passing pieces of information from one generation to the next to the next you know not everybody had the same access to the same skill set but that doesn't mean that we're judging this person by their aptitude or their output so i want to make sure that we bring everybody in underneath this umbrella every time we get a chance to nobody's getting left behind on this side i think the the biggest thing with that level of malleability that you're talking about when you look at a direction that we're going or a direction that we're trying to go in is again the idea that 
we don't have to completely agree as long as we're walking the same path. Mm-hmm. I think we've made the mistake as, as a culture, as a people in general, of arguing on the way to the steps. Let's go forward. Let's keep the concept very simple. And once we've gotten that established, then we can start moving and separating and going into different lines. So we got our marching orders, it looks like, for real, for real. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like this direction. Stacey, one of the things that we like to do before we wrap up the show is we like to kick it off with a little question. Mr. Jones, would you like to set this up for me, please? Of course. So, Stacy, what is something that you could leave our listeners with as let's keep it in and running outside the lines, right? So what could you tell the listeners to do to get them on that path to continue to run outside the lines make sure you're getting your rest i am a big advocate of rest and self-care and taking space uh when you need it um as a means to be able to you know be productive and do the things that you have to do in this world uh too often we just keep going 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 you know lots of work hard grind all this sort of thing and you know, we don't, as part of just being a healthy person, just really, really, really incorporating rest and breaks into that process because we're going to, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And so we're going to need our energy. Worth Nipsey. Um, I so like for it. anything. Mm-hmm. See, Stacey, now I'm picking up what you're putting down over there, Stacey. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to get to talk more about self-care and that self-love that I know is needed amongst some of the brothers out here in my, in this corner over here, right? We're in an amazing time, but we're still fighting a lot of the old stuff, Stacey. I got to be honest with you. Trying to shake past it, trying to get past and actually deal with and acknowledge some of this trauma and trying to move in that direction. Yeah, I'm trying to shake past it, man. That was the Harlem shake? She's uptown, man. She's uptown. You know, just take this money. You know, he's getting uh, all of that stuff. You know? Yeah, you know. You're too big for the Harlem shake, Come on, man. We was in here. He's like, G-Dep is somewhere holding it down, you know? But we... (laughs) We really do need guidance and, and instruction and, and somebody that can hold the capacity for that conversation inside of the, the black male guys and the, the outlook. So I would definitely love to continue this conversation with you and love to extend our dialogue as we try to make this thought and this process that we're having turn into some action. How's that sound to you, Stacey? Sounds good. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Oh, that's what's so up. I am, right. so I'm ready. We got one new friend, fellas. How you feeling about that? My <laughs> new friend. Yeah, right? <laughs> and Stacy's hitting you with the dope interiors, too. I see the inhale, exhale in the background. No, so no. I'm, I'm going to have to see the metals hanging I up. I see the metals. There's the you accolades. Got, yeah. go, ahead, go ahead and lean. Show us all the, show us all the hardware. Yeah, so we're going to get out here. We're going to run. We're going to exhale. We're going to inhale. We're going to get the mirrors going down. It's a whole, you got a whole little Solange moment in, in in that house over there. There were plants that were coming out of there, but they needed some some more of my window seals. So. That's all right. We got it. We got it. I feel the cranes in the sky right now, Stacey, as we talking. I hear it. It's coming up. <laughs> Stacey, I want to say thank you so much on behalf of the Off the Strength podcast and the Lululemon squad that helped set us up. Shout out to the homie show out there. Fellas, you got anything else you want to ask Stacey before we jump up out of here? I want to give you a, a heartfelt thanks for, for doing the work that you do. Um, I, it's a, a lot of people, especially for the social work in the beginning and the, the therapy throughout your career. It's, it's, it's a necessary thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I appreciate it because I know you're making sacrifices in order to do that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Multiply that times three for me. I got nothing else on that behalf. Definitely looking forward to continuing this conversation for sure. Stacy, as we evolve, we will be in contact. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared and looking forward to collaborating even more down the line. Once again, it's been another fantastic episode of Off the Strength. I'm a trainer called Tony. You're a trainer, Corey. 
KR Jones. Peace and much love to y'all out there. We'll see you soon. Wash your hands. Thanks, guys. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you had as much fun as we did. For more with KR Jones, your trainer, Corey, and yours truly, a trainer, Paul Tony, be sure to tune into the Off the Strength podcast, dropping new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday across all digital service providers. And if you love what you heard, don't be afraid to tell a friend, like, and subscribe. For more information, be sure to follow us on our Instagram at off the strength underscore. Thanks for listening in. Peace and much love. Till next time, we'll see you soon.